Well, I've spent a lot of my life thinking about letters, the kind of letters you write out on paper, fold, insert into an envelope, put a stamp on, address, drop off at the post office. Um, I know this is considered an antiquated way of, of communicating nowadays, but it's also big business. Businesses spend around 39 billion, that's a billion with a B, on marketing through the mail every year, and this was my business, helping organizations market through the mail. So the time I spent thinking about letters was concentrated on how to make them more effective, how to use a letter to cause someone to take the action you want them to take. Companies spend a lot of money to get you just to open your mail. And if you're like me, most of your mail uh, hits the trash can before you even open it. One company I worked for developed a machine to replicate human handwriting. The machine holds a ballpoint pen and writes out letters and envelopes that look like they came from your grandma, likely because your grandma's the only one sending these letters anymore. You may have gotten one of these letters and opened it excitedly, thinking it was uh, from someone dear, only to find out it's just another fundraising letter, uh, cleverly disguised. Well, it might have been me that was partially responsible for getting that into your mailbox, so if that was you, I apologize. But another focus of those who write marketing letters for a living is how to use the right words to get the desired response, how to ask or appeal to a donor or customer so that they'll open their checkbook and make a purchase or give a gift. And most often, they're, they're appealing to our most base desires, um, fleshly desires. They're students of human nature, and they know that anger, greed, and fear are great motivators to get people to part with their hard-earned money. The reason we sort our mail over the trash can is because we recognize that most of it is garbage. It tries to grab our attention. I always said the job of an envelope is to get itself opened, and by the judging by the stack of, of mail in my trash, most of them fail the test. But on the flip side, it is a joy to receive a genuine handwritten letter from a friend or a family member. Why is that? Because it took that person time to buy a card, to think about what they were going to write, to buy the stamp, to go to the post office. This person invested their own time and money to send us this message. It cost that person something to send that letter. This morning, we'll, we'll look at, or I'm sorry, this evening, we'll look at Paul's letter to Philemon. And it's a, a beautiful letter, a persuasive letter, a literary masterpiece. But Paul does not resort to the tactics of the world to persuade. He is not flexing his authority to strong arm a desired outcome. In this letter, Paul encourages forgiveness and reconciliation between Philemon and his slave Onesimus on the basis of their common faith in Jesus Christ. Paul will demonstrate that even in cases of great betrayal, we're called to be lavish in our forgiveness of other believers who have sinned against us. And this must be the case in the life of the local church. In this letter, Paul makes four appeals that encourage us to forgive those in the church who have sinned against us. Four appeals that encourage us to forgive those in the church who have sinned against us. Let's turn to Philemon and read the text, and we're going to read the entire letter. Philemon, starting in verse 1. 
Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I've come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you from my child, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. As Paul's shortest letter, Philemon leaves out a lot of details. Obviously, Paul was intimately associated with all these details, but by God's providence and inspiration, they're left out of the letter. Philemon, Onesimus, Paul, and the observing church knew the details, but what we have in front of us is all that God wanted us to have, and it is certainly sufficient for our study, understanding, and sanctification with the help of the Spirit. The letter deals with the plight of the slave Onesimus, who has separated himself from his master Philemon and now seeks to be reconciled, bringing this letter of commendation from the Apostle Paul. Onesimus has come into contact with Paul, who is in prison, probably in Rome. The similarity of the geography and the final greetings of Philemon and Colossians point to Colossae as the location of Philemon's home, where the church meets. And now, to encourage Philemon to forgive his slave, Paul makes four appeals that encourage believers to forgive those in the church who have sinned against them. The first appeal, uh, number one, is an appeal to Christian love and faith. 
That's in verses 4 through 7. Secondly, an appeal to brotherhood. That's in verses 8 through 16. Thirdly, an appeal to partnership in the gospel, verses 17 through 20. And fourth, an appeal to obedience, verses 21 and 22. But before we get to the first appeal, Paul starts with a greeting in verses 1 through 3. And the first thing we notice is that Paul identifies himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. In almost all of Paul's other letters, he identifies himself as the apostle of Jesus, carrying authority. But here he reminds Philemon and the church that meets in his house that he is in chains for preaching the gospel. And Timothy is also joining Paul in his appeal to Philemon. Philemon is addressed first as a beloved brother and fellow laborer. Surely the thought of Paul suffering in prison for the sake of the gospel must have grieved him. Next, Paul addresses Philemon's wife, Aphia. She would be integral in the restoration of Onesimus. Um, Remember, this is a runaway slave that's now uh, returned to be welcomed back into the home. And according to the customs of the day, the wife was in charge of the day-to-day responsibility for the slaves. So she's, she's a key part of this as well. And not only Philemon and his wife, but Archippus is next name, probably pastoring the church and is called a fellow soldier. He is contending for the the same truth as Paul and Philemon. And it also is addressed to the church that's meeting in Philemon's house. So he and the church will be observers as this scene plays out between Philemon and Onesimus. Paul here is giving us insight into how the church is to function in these circumstances. This is not only about two individuals, but it's about the unity of the body, and that must be protected and the oversight must be welcomed. As we read in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, when one member suffers, we all suffer, and when one, one member rejoices, we all rejoice. So as long as there is this division between Onesimus, a new believer, and Philemon, his owner, the church will suffer with them. So they want to see this reconciliation take place. The local church will be the context in, in which it happens. Listen to what John Calvin wrote. Every Christian should have his church enclosed within his heart and be affected with its maladies as if they were his own. Sympathize with its sorrows and bewail its sins. This cuts against the lie that we are tempted to believe, the the lie we sometimes tell ourselves that our sin is a private matter. No, we are members of one body, to continue the analogy Paul uses from 1 Corinthians 12. My son recently had uh, pain in, the, in his wrist, and he went to a doctor who told him it was uh, just a sprain, and with some, some time it would heal. Um, but he continued to have, have the pain, and eventually got his wrist x-rayed, and it revealed that his, his wrist was actually broken. It was never going to heal without the proper treatment. So, Christian, uh, when you see a brother or sister entangled in sin, are you willing to to rush to them and offer first aid? If they need more specialized care, are you able to lead them to biblical help? I'm thankful for the counseling center here at Timberlake. It's been a help to me and uh, so many others in the battle against sin. So, 
Brothers and sisters, don't be shocked by the sinfulness of sin, even in the lives of believers. But equip yourself to bear one another's burdens. And this way you'll be contributing to the, to the health and health of the body of Christ and its unity. So protect that. Well, Paul warmly greets them with uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All parties involved have the same Father and have experienced the same reconciliation with him through Christ. And that grace has caused them to be at peace with God and other believers. This will fuel the forgiveness that is requested from Philemon and the reconciliation that Onesimus seeks. So the first appeal that we're going to look at this morning, or this evening, is an appeal to Christian love and faith. That's in verses 4 through 7. I'm going to read those again quickly. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which with which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Paul here is expressing thanks to God for Philemon because he hears about his faith and love. His Christian character has become known, and he's renowned for that. And this must have been a great encouragement to Philemon to know that the, the great apostle, Paul, was continu- continually thanking God for the fruit that others were seeing in his life. The church was being built up, and God was getting the glory. Verse 6 is, is difficult to translate, but it seems that the NASB has the best translation to the effect that Paul prays that Philemon's participation in the faith will be made effective because of his full understanding of God's goodness to both of them. And this seems to align with Colossians 1, 9 through 10, where knowledge precedes good works. Colossians 1, 9, and 10 say, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul follows that up in verse 7 expressing the joy and encouragement Paul has because of Philemon's love for the saints. And this justifies Paul's expansive use of full understanding of every good thing in verse 6. Paul's prayer is for great Christian maturity in his brother, which will be required and find its expression in forgiveness towards Onesimus. Paul's second appeal to Philemon is an appeal to brotherhood in verses 8 through 16. This begins with the word therefore, so on the basis of Philemon's faith and love, which Paul just spoke of, he's going to make this appeal. He could pull rank as an apostle and command Philemon's obedience, but instead he appeals on the basis of love. Paul reminds him that he is old and feeble and in chains. In verse 10, we learn who he is making this appeal on behalf of. It is Onesimus, who was converted 
through the ministry of Paul while he was in prison. Here he uses a tender image of father and son. Onesimus is a son begotten in his imprisonment. And then Paul makes a play on words. Onesimus means useful. In verse 11, he, he mentions the name. This was a common slave name, but it's interesting that Paul uses this word play at the beginning of his appeal. He's about to make a, a radical request of Philemon in light of cultural norms. And this bit of humor actually highlights something that needs to be seen as amazing, the conversion of Onesimus. Going down to, to verse 12, again, Paul's affection for Onesimus is evident as he says, not just I'm sending him back, but he's sending back his own heart. And back up in verse 7, you can see heart is mentioned again. The hearts of the saints are being refreshed through Philemon in the church that meets in his house. Philemon is known for this, and now Paul is asking that Philemon would do the same for him in accepting Onesimus. Onesimus has been helpful to Paul in his ministry. In verse 13, he says that he wished to keep Onesimus with him so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. This help that Onesimus has been to Paul has been in the place of Philemon. And again, here, Paul continually points Philemon to his imprisonment and dire situation. No doubt this would have stirred Philemon's heart with compassion as one who was known for his love for the saints. Perhaps this gave him joy to know that his slave had been helpful to Paul in his ministry. He was so helpful that Paul wanted to keep Onesimus for his own benefit. But here Paul does not pull rank, but rather he appeals on the basis of love. In verse 14, it says, But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. He respects Philemon's position in the matter. He desires that Onesimus returns to him, but does not put Philemon under obligation. Paul sees the hand of God at work and contrasts for a while and forever in verse 15. For perhaps he was, for this reason, separated from you for a while so that you would have him back forever. And then similar, similarly, in verse 16, he contrasts slave, a temporary and demeaning condition with brother, an eternal relationship in the Lord. Well, we already saw that Onesimus was converted through the ministry of Paul while he was in prison, and we also know that the church in Colossae was a result of Paul's ministry as well. Acts tells us that Paul's ministry in Ephesus resulted in the gospel going throughout the whole region. And so Philemon can trace his spiritual lineage back through the apostle Paul as well. So there is true brotherhood here, brothers in Christ and brothers through the ministry of the apostle Paul. A letter like this that addresses uh, slavery so directly um, makes people question why Paul does not call for Philemon to release Onesimus from slavery. Why not condemn slavery outright? It would seem like this would be the, the perfect opportunity. 
And it's an emotional uh, topic to be sure, and it requires us to kind of disconnect from our American context because first century Roman slavery was very different than uh, the slavery in the 18th and 19th centuries in America. We understand the fact that a person in the Roman Empire who was a slave um, that told you nothing about his race or his occupation. Of course, that doesn't change the fact that many slaves in the first century Roman Empire suffered greatly under wicked masters. But social change was not the goal of Paul um, or the apostles who were spreading the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. I think uh, Alexander McLaren gives a good explanation for why slavery was not condemned outright by Paul. He says, first, the message of Christianity is primarily to individuals and only secondarily to society. It leaves the units whom it has influenced to influence the mass. Second, it acts on spiritual and moral sentiment, and only afterwards and consequently on deeds or institutions. Third, it hates violence and trusts wholly to enlightened conscience. So it meddles directly with no political or social arrangements, but lays down principles which will profoundly affect these and leaves them to soak into the general mind. So had the Christians in Paul's day begun an open crusade against slavery, they would have been crushed by the opposition and the message of the gospel would have become confused with a social and political program. So in this letter, Paul does not directly address the evils of slavery. Rather, he is uh, concerned with the spiritual well-being of the church and the reconciliation between these two brothers, one a slave and one a free man. And that's, that's radical. That should be, be shocking to us. In the first century church, these, these men were on equal standing with Christ, um, whether slave or free. Um, they were one in, in Christ Jesus. And that brings us to the third appeal Paul makes, an appeal to partnership in the gospel. This is in verses 17 through 20. Verse 17 starts, If then you regard me a partner... Accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So here Paul is using... An accounting term. He is engaged in the same gospel work as Philemon. In that sense, they are business partners. Philemon is to accept Onesimus as he would Paul. And verse 18 is, is really astonishing. We should be astonished at what Paul says here. Paul graciously offers to assume the financial obligations of Onesimus as restitution. The sin is not swept under the rug or ignored these consequences must be dealt with. And how Christ-like of Paul to, to adopt that, that hard attitude. Forgiveness, um, even among believers, involves a debt to be absorbed. 
Sin is not ignored. There is a real debt there. And when we forgive, we are agreeing to take the hit, so to speak. The debt that is owed is forgiven. We eat that. Never to bring it up to the person seeking forgiveness. Never to bring it up to anyone outside of ourselves and also not to bring it up even to ourselves. Uh, Not to remember it. What were the obligations that Paul was willing to take on himself? We, we really don't know. It seems like Onesimus may have stolen something from Philemon. Really, the fact that he was a slave owned property of Philemon. Uh, his fleeing could be considered theft in itself. But that was a common crime of a runaway slave would be to take some goods from his owner, to steal them and then run. After all, these men didn't have property of their own, so perhaps he took something to get away with and to support himself. And perhaps the absence of Onesimus had cost Philemon income. We don't know what job he did for Philemon, but obviously having him there one day and gone the next would have been a um, great burden to Philemon. And Paul then writes out what amounts to be a promissory note. His name and character are on the line. He puts his name on it. And then he quickly switches to another thought. Philemon's spiritual indebtedness to Paul will more than cover any debts. We already said Philemon was converted under Paul's ministry. Paul, as far as we know, had never been to Colossae. So perhaps Philemon had been in Ephesus during Paul's ministry there. We don't know those details, but what we do know is that Philemon owes Paul. He is his spiritual son. And in verse 20, Paul again returns to the language of verse 7. Philemon is known as one who refreshes the hearts of the saints. How can he do less for Paul? And also we see Onesimus is as Paul's very heart. Philemon needs to refresh him as well. It's pretty uh, amazing to think of how Philemon would refresh this uh, runaway slave who's now returned. Uh, How would he be integrated back into the home? Think of them sitting across the same table looking at each other every day. That's uh, pretty uh, incredible. Uh, Only by the grace of, of Christ can that happen. And that brings us to Paul's fourth appeal. His fourth appeal is an appeal to obedience in verses 21 and 22. Paul writes, Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. So Paul has really commanded nothing in this letter, um, but he expects obedience. So it seems incongruous, uh, commanding nothing but expecting obedience. Obedience to what? Well, the love of Christ compels Philemon to at least forgive and reconcile with Onesimus, but Paul is confident that he will do even more. What is more? The the details, again, we don't have them. Uh, Freedom for Onesimus, perhaps. Loaning Onesimus back to Paul, it's left unsaid. And then in verse 22, Paul announces that he would like to make a follow-up visit. So you can imagine Philemon reading this letter, understanding what he is obligated to do, 
And this also kind of ramps up the importance of it all. Paul is possibly making a visit. He's going to follow up. He's going to see what happens with this situation. Did Philemon forgive Onesimus? Well, I would say the, probably the fact that we have the survival of the letter is the best evidence that he did. The letter didn't end up in the bottom of Philemon's trash can, uh, evidently. I guess he could have spiked it, maybe never would have seen the light of day, but it's been preserved. Of course, the church leader could have been indignant. He had been defrauded by a slave. He had been wronged. He could, unless he had an understanding of the grace of God that had been extended to him. And that brings us to the closing greetings. Verses 23 through 25. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. These uh, names mentioned here, um, fellow workers in the gospel ministry, Epaphras was pastor at Colossae. And he had gone to Paul and told him about some false teaching in the church at Colossae. And so they would have known him and the fellow workers there. And he ends the letter with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Taking us back again to the great grace of our Lord as the basis of forgiveness and reconciliation. So in this Short letter, these names at the end and the names at the beginning, we have 12 people mentioned. So we see the great cooperation in the gospel work. Um, This forgiveness would not occur in a vacuum. The gospel is at work, and the evidence was all around them. And for Philemon to forgive Onesimus would give testimony to the continuing transformation of a lost sinner through the gospel. Of these 12 people mentioned, the three fullest pictures we have are of Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. And these are pictures of true living faith in each of them. You see Paul as the um, one who is um, urging forgiveness. Onesimus, the one needing forgiveness. And Philemon, the one needing to extend it. And this letter presents an appeal to forgive that gives us the opportunity to check our own hearts. So how are we doing in these areas? We talk about Onesimus. He has nothing to offer. He is silent in this letter. But Paul's commendation gives evidence that he was truly repentant, not making any excuses for his sin, casting himself on Philemon's mercy. What about us? Are we slow to confess and seek forgiveness from those we've sinned against? Thinking we have a reputation to protect, maybe fearing man? That cannot be in our hearts as believers. Self-preservation is not our concern, rather the purity of the church is. Unconfessed sin does violence to the body of Christ and must be confessed regardless of the person whose life it's in. 
in Philemon, we see a picture of someone needing to forgive, being called to comprehensive forgiveness, opening his heart and home to one who has wronged him. So what about us? In this position, someone comes to ask forgiveness of us. What would they say of you? Those closest to us, your children in your home, do they come knowing that the Christian character of love and faith that was evident in Philemon is going to be extended to them? Or is it with fear and trembling that they approach us, thinking they'll have to endure the silent treatment or do some kind of penance? Do we forgive freely? And then we have the example of Paul, the picture of someone encouraging forgiveness. He sincerely identified with Onesimus. He invested fully. He put his name on the line for him. I'm reminded of Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. This letter, while it was appealing to Philemon for forgiveness for Onesimus and reconciliation in the relationship, it cost Paul greatly. Are we willing to put ourselves on the line for forgiveness and reconciliation between two other believers in the church? What about financially? What if seeing some believers reconciled to each other costs us money? Are we willing to be generous in that way? For the church, it is a scandalous thing that there would be unforgiveness and division among us. Martin Luther said, we are all Onesimai. We were not paragons of virtue and righteousness, yet Jesus Christ paid the sin that we owed. And I want to end tonight by reading a couple of verses from Colossians. Uh, Colossians 3, 13 and 14. Colossians 3. 13 and 14. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also, so also should you. Beyond these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. In light of what Christ has done, um, taking our sin debt and nailing it to the cross. In light of that, how can we withhold forgiveness from our brothers and sisters? So I pray that you would let uh, this um, letter of Philemon encourage you. Hear the, the four appeals that encourage us to forgive those in the church who have sinned against us. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, your word, Lord, how it has edified us today. Thank you for the blessing of being uh, in your church, fellowshipping with brothers and sisters, Lord. And we know as our lives come into contact that um, there will be sin. There will be sin that believers commit against each other, Lord. And I pray that um, when that happens, we'll be reminded of um, this text. Philemon, um, of Onesimus, of Paul, whatever role we play in it, Lord, I pray that we would be those who um, 
put sin to death in our own lives um, by the grace of Jesus Christ, Lord, that we would be advocates for each other in, in helping each other along the path to um, pick up those who have fallen by the wayside, Lord, who have been ensnared in sin. Lord, and that when we are um, sinned against, Lord, that we would be um, ready to forgive uh, at a moment's notice, Lord, that we would consider uh, the great debt that we had been forgiven through Jesus Christ and um, that that would be the, the pattern of our lives, that we would be marked by it, that um, the hearts of uh, the, the saints around us would be refreshed by our forgiving attitude, our Christ-like um, attitude towards those, um, those in the church. Lord, as we go out uh, tonight and this week, Lord, I pray that uh, the truths we've heard today would, um, would change us, Lord, that we would be more Christ-like because of what we heard here today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.